Welcome to episode 8 of RocketPod, the podcast for business and charity professionals looking to expand their CRM knowledge and grow. You're listening to myself, Natalie Silver, and Rocket CRM directors Ian Wicks and Carl McKee as we discuss managing a CRM project the Rocket CRM way. If you've ever been involved in a CRM implementation, you'll testify to how complex things can get. Even in smaller businesses, what can appear as a simplistic software solution on the outside actually requires careful project management and the right technical skills to avoid two nightmare scenarios. The first being implementing a bad CRM that does not meet the needs of your organization, or the second, implementing a good CRM badly. Both waste time, money, and people power. In this episode of RocketPod, Ian and Kyle share their approach to CRM project management, which ensures they avoid either of these unwanted outcomes for their clients. Well then, hello everybody. Hello Ian, hello Kyle. Hello. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? doing? All good, all good. Really good actually, yeah. Well, it's beautiful and sunny, not to put a timestamp on this, but this is summertime in the UK and we actually have some sunshine, which is glorious. Right, guys, for the benefit of our audience, you've probably listened to a few of our previous podcasts. Hopefully you have. If you haven't, then do go and check them out. But in today's episode, episode eight, we are going to be talking about a CRM project and what that looks like when you're under the care of Rocket CRM, what activities are involved, who's responsible for what, and also what type of milestones there are, and loads of more information on how we track progress. Basically, we're there to make our clients' lives easier and the project run smoothly. Well, I guess the first thing that's important to know about us at Rocket CRM is that we mostly work in the SMB sector. So it's SMB standing for small and medium-sized businesses or otherwise known as SME. So it's to give you an idea of sort of scale, it's between, say, 10 and 300 or so employees. It's not an exact science, but it gives you an idea of the scale of the type of projects that we typically work with. Our methodology, which has been tried and tested and honed by us over years, fits companies within that sector. Yeah. Also, we have to remember, I guess, for those kind of organisations, they don't, they're not going to be changing their CRM system every week, are they? Or even every year. So, or even every two years, maybe. So, you know, there's a good chance by the time they start to look for a new CRM system, there's hardly anyone left in the organisation who was there the first time or the last time that they implemented the CRM. So they're going to need a lot of handholding, reassurance and guidance throughout the whole process. Yeah. And just to point out another thing is that SME, as I referred to it, so small to medium sized enterprises, there's also another acronym for SME, which is subject matter expert, which is basically someone who knows that role or that subject really well, better than anybody else, sort of a leader in that kind of subject. So just just to know that there is a slight difference, but we will clarify if we mention either of the two. SMEs, as in subject matter experts, are super important to any project, but especially to CRM projects. They help us understand what's needed in certain scenarios, so understand their processes so that we can design the CRM application that works well for them. Back in the old dinosaur days of CRM, where it used to be led by IT teams, most users never had a great experience because it wasn't really designed for them in mind. And this is why so many CRM projects failed back in the day and why they had a bad reputation in the early days user and user experiences were never taken into account at that particular time. Most of the time, most organizations have addressed that and they're becoming much more mature in their approach to the projects. Thanks for that clarity. That actually really helps. That's an important point to raise as well. So what does Rocket CRM project look like, guys? 
Well, it starts when a customer signs up with us to build them a CRM application. I mean, we've got a pretty standard approach that we know works well in the SMB sector. So there is maybe a slight variation, possibly at the start of the project. I'll talk about that in a minute. But essentially, we follow the same set of activities for each project. We may need to scale the activities up for bigger projects or scale down for very small projects. But, you know, it's pretty much the same kind of set of activities. Like a blueprint. You got it. Okay, and you said you can scale it up or down according to the size of the project. So how big is a big project or how big is a small project? Well, we tend to measure um, an initial project in terms of the number of days it takes to implement it. So we find this works well because it gives everyone an idea of the scale of a project. So for a very small project, let's say for a small organization or a charity with very minimal requirements, it might end up in a 10 to 15 day project or even slightly less for a very, very small project. They might want some very basic functionality around organizations, contacts, maybe volunteers or service users. They may want to import some of the old data from their old system or from a spreadsheet that they're using if they haven't graduated yet to using a CRM application. But then for a large organization, like one that's got multiple departments and all the departments want a piece of the CRM action, each one has got its own requirements. This could end up being 100 days or even more than that. We've done projects much bigger than that. So when a project is largely like that, we would often do a small scoping project at the beginning to find out the precise requirements so that we can then provide the customer with a fixed cost for the work that needs to be done. Well, how does the scoping project work, in, And when does someone need that as opposed to just you quoting to carry out the CRM implementation? Um, it tends to be when there's uh, the requirements itself aren't really well defined yet by the end client. So, you know, here's a scenario. A potential customer approaches us and says, we've got to replace our aging CRM system. And they say to us, it needs to work for the sales team, things like new sales, renewals, training, etc., um, but they also need to have a portal and they, so their customers can log support tickets. On top of that, for the first phase, they also want to track training events, outcomes of the training, report back to a sponsor, and they provide this request in a two-page PDF to us. Okay, There's two possible approaches. The first approach is to say, to, you know, we think this sounds like a 60-day project. So we can base it on that, but bear in mind that this is an estimate and the price can go up and down depending on what we discover as we go along. So, for example, they might have super complex processes that require us to integrate with the finance system, but we don't discover that until halfway through the, the scoping. If none of that was discussed at the start, then it's not included in the quote. So we do have to protect ourselves a bit by allowing the project to effectively go up and down in terms of that estimate. Absolutely. You definitely need that flexibility. How about approach B? Well, the other one, <laughs> I'll answer that. <laughs> so when there's that, that unknown around a big requirement and a fairly large requirement, and there's a, a lot of unknowns, so the customer might pay us for a, a much smaller number of days. Let's say in this example, let's say five to eight days. And we'll carry out in those five to eight days a series of workshops with the customer. We tend to do those in the morning as like half day workshops because everybody's fresher in the morning. And we tend not to try and do the whole day because it's too much. But um, a series of workshops where we'll work out what the whole requirement is. Um, it's during those workshops that we can agree with the customer what's in scope and what's out of scope. So we can then present the customer with a document that contains the entire scope of what's included and what's going to be built. 
We often also build like a mini proof of concept system to demonstrate that we've understood the requirement. So the proof of concept, which we shorten to POC, so if you're here, it's talk about POC. It's a proof of concept. It's like a very basic system. It's just enough functionality so the customer feels reassured that we know what's required. And they will also feel reassured that we've heard them and that we're able to build what they ultimately need. Most important of all is that along with the document, which we call a statement of work, with the POC, with the statement of work, after that small scoping project, we can provide the client with a fixed price to carry out the rest of the work. So there's no sort of ambiguity for them. They know exactly how much it's going to cost. That's the advantage of that small scoping project, if that makes sense. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense because obviously they'll need to release the budget from the powers of being if the budget goes over what they'd said it was going to be, put them in a difficult position. So yeah, both approaches sound really sensible, Ian. Which one's the most popular? What do, what do most customers go for? I think it depends on a lot of factors. So it tends to be that the larger projects will go scope-led, whereas the smaller ones tend to be a little bit easier and we can give pretty accurate estimates after a few conversations, you know, us looking at bits and pieces that they're doing. We've done this for a long, long time, as you know, Natalie. So <laughs> invariably, we're always pretty there, pretty much there or thereabouts when it comes to es- estimating the projects. But one other point about going scope-led, just to add to it, is where it's useful is to de-risk it. So if a client wishes to de-risk the project approach by having it scope-led in the beginning, they can spend a smaller amount of money up front to do the scoping before they commit a larger sum of money to do the main project. So de-risks it for them. Yeah, I mean, on a personal note, I would go for that one, just removing that risk and knowing what it is before I sort of leap into the full project. But every company and everyone's different, aren't they? So if I'm a customer and I've just been through the scoping stages with you guys, we're ready to move forward. What comes next? Do I give you the money there and then to crack on, build me a CRM? What's the next steps for someone who well, yeah, doesn't not, know? <laughs> not quite, <laughs> but we, yeah, we feel it's important to work with the customer all the way through the project so that we don't veer off track at any point. So we wouldn't just say, just give us the money and we'll see you at the end. There's your application. We're done. Bye. We have regular reviews and catch-ups with the customer all all the way through the whole process. That way, even if we're starting to build something that maybe they they don't need or their process has changed, maybe due to, you know, new legislation in their sphere, in their industry or whatever, we're in touch all the time so that we can easily get back on track and make whatever changes required. I mean, when we carry out the projects for our clients, you know, from experience, invariably, there's some changes or some tweaks, you know, whether they change their minds about things or whether they may be misunderstood. Some of the bits that we were talking about in the scoping, or there's some nice to haves that they want to bring in play now that they've started to see the system. But essentially, we know that when we do the first review of the application, we will have at least sort of 80% of what they want. We know that from our conversations, workshops, planning, documentation that have all taken place before the system has been built. So the way that we, we work this is to use 70 to 80% of the build time that is allocated to creating the application before the first review to keep a little bit of time back so that we can start to fine tune the application through iterative reviews. The idea is to arrive at the point where the system is ready for sign off. It usually triggers a payment milestone as well. We don't typically ask a customer to pay everything up front. We stagger the payments throughout the project so the customer you know, has some control over when they release those funds. Yeah, and that sort of bit of held back extra time that we just mentioned or Carl just mentioned, we call that a change pull. So it's used for iterative changes based on the system reviews that we've had with the client. So all for any new requests as well. So if they just think, oh, you know, this is nice to have, can we throw that in there? 
if there's enough time in the change pool, they can add that in there as well. So this allows us all to kind of move forward with the project, not to lose momentum while we're having to wait for new purchase orders. Have they got, can they get additional budget, blah, 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 blah. If they've got that sort of 10% or 20, between 10 and 20% variance in there anyway, there is some time for some changes. So this helps to prevent, you know, that horrible scope creep scenario that we all know about in terms of projects, because the customer is fully aware of how much time they've got left for changes before they start paying for additional work. So we believe in being upfront and honest with a client from the beginning. And the fact that they have a statement of work containing the items that are actually in scope, along with X amount of time for variants and changes, that every, everyone knows exactly where they stand and you don't get this he said, she said kind of scenario or awkwardness. Yeah, absolutely. You definitely need that transparency. That's really important because I'm guessing there'll be a lot of stakeholders at the client's end as well that need to be reassured. It isn't just the person that you speak to on a day-to-day basis that their project manager or the CRM expert. Another question, how long does it take to get where the customer has a CRM system? In other words, how do you track the progress of the project? How does that work? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's always good to work to deadlines and know when stuff is due. I mean, that's the way we work. And also the clients prefer that approach because they can see the roadmap as to when they're going to be live, when they need to do X by Y by, et cetera, whatever that is. So we use Project, Microsoft Project, to plan all project dates and tasks, and it's shared with the customer. So it's a collaborative approach. And we agree all that stuff upfront before we actually start any of the work within the project. But the idea is that they can log in at any point, see where the project is now, what's coming up next, et cetera, what activities they're involved in. So we flag them down so that they can easily see where they're needed or where activities are just us at Rocket doing things on the particular project. So one of the key things that I think Ian, you told me this actually, the first law of project management is summed up in five words. So who yeah. does what by when? Yeah, that is project yeah. summed up. Yeah. So that's essentially what the plan, what we aim our project plans to do is to tell us who's responsible for each task and when it's expected to be done by. And sharing the project plan that way works really well. It avoids a situation with multiple people updating a plan on a spreadsheet or having to have some sort of versioning control and or someone making sure they've got the latest version. It's freely available to all the relevant stakeholders from the client side and our side. That's good. Again, just lots of transparency in the whole workflow. So basically, I'm guessing anyone can check in at any point to see what the progress of the project is and who's working on what on what particular day. Is it that level of granular detail? Yeah, it's exactly like you said earlier. It's transparent. So this way, everyone can prepare in advance when they know that they need to do their bit, you know, whether it's a customer or whether that's us. And whether that's collecting data for importing or planning training schedules or whatever it is, everybody knows and can expect, you know, and plan diaries accordingly. Okay. You mentioned something interesting there, collecting data for importing. So data importing, how does that work? If you import the data for the client, are they expected to import it? Who does that? Who's responsible for cleaning the data before it's imported and to keep it fresh? Who does what? Well, when it comes to the subject of data imports, which we call data migration, There are a few options. I mean, the first option is for the client to give us access to their old CRM system and all their subsequent spreadsheets. And we try to piece it all together, export the data, import it into the new system. But can you imagine like the work involved? We don't know their CRM. We don't know their spreadsheets. And of course, who knows the data better than the customer themselves? So this very rarely happens because it would just be way, way too expensive for the clients. I mean, the other option or the second option is for the client to manually add data. So there's a lot to be said of starting afresh with a clean plate and making sure that you don't add all the old dross or the old rubbish data into your new CRM. Yeah, of course, for most people typing in the records, it's going to take a bit of time, isn't it? But there must be a quicker way to do it. 
Well, yeah, I mean, this is it. Yeah, you're right. It'd be very time consuming adding all the records one at a time. So the most common thing that happens is a third option, which is for us to, once we've built the system and that those customers signed it off, we will export Excel templates from the new system. So we'll pass them to the client and the client can populate the Excel spreadsheets, the templates that we've exported themselves. The nice thing about this is it has a column for every field that they've defined. So one of the fields is, let's say, for example, a drop down list. In the spreadsheet, you'll see a drop down as well. It just makes it so much easier. So as long as the customer can export their data somehow from their old system, it should be fairly straightforward for them to be able to take that and then populate the Excel templates that we've provided. What we tend to do is we do a workshop with the client as well, just to talk through how the best way and easiest way to do that. Once they've populated those templates, they can upload them into the portal that we share. So we give them access to a portal because we don't want them sending their data or people's personal data in emails or unsecured emails. So we give them access to a portal. They can upload their populated templates into a portal and then we just import the records for them as a trial migration. So can you explain to the listeners what a trial migration is, Ian? I'll take that one. Um, So essentially, we do a trial migration for a couple of reasons. So the first one is it allows us to do a workshop with a customer to review the data. Is everything where it needs to be? Is all the records in? Are there any issues that we need to correct before we do the live migration? So it's like a, it's a trial run, essentially, of all the data. The second part of it is that it allows the customer to do their training and testing in their new CRM application with data that they actually recognize and is familiar to them. It helps a lot with user adoption, but obviously we'll talk about that in another episode. So after the successful trial migration, the project then will move on to the training phase or does testing and user acceptance testing come first? What's next steps, basically? That's always a bit of a tricky question as to whether we do the training first or system testing. Ideally, it would be good to do a bit of training before so we can get the client team in a position so they can start doing the user acceptance testing, which is basically end-to-end testing. They'll run through all the processes from start to finish and they'll record any feedback or any issues and then feed them back to us. And then we can discuss if there needs to be any changes or if, if you know, whatever, whatever it is. So, I mean, sometimes we're training a super user as well and they go on and train the rest of the client team. But sometimes the client wants us to train the end users as well. So it all depends on the budget and on the culture to some extent within that customer organization. Yeah, I mean, in terms of user acceptance testing, we're generally we're generally we're not involved in the actual sessions with the end users, the clients are doing that um, themselves, but we're around on standby, for example, for feedback on agreed times, you know, whether that's at the end of every session of every day or whether that's once every two days, however that works would be pre-agreed with us anyway. But the idea is that we get any feedback or if there's any tweaks or anything like that that need to happen, anything that needs fixing, and we discuss those changes with them after those sessions. So what's likely to be the reason needing these sort of final changes at this late stage? Would it be down to exceptions and processes, for example, or because you don't want to be going back on yourself and redoing work. Everything should have kind of been agreed in advance. This is just finding out the, the, the final wrinkles, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. That It's usually uh, the odd exception. So maybe something that the SME didn't pick up in the beginning of, of the um, workshops, but it's sort of any sort of anomalies that come out of it. So it could be that. It could be as simple as, oh, we've forgotten to add a new field, for example. We need this field to track X, Y, Z or or something like that. So fairly, fairly simple changes at that particular stage. Right. So we've built the system. The customer is happy. We've done the trial migration and training. What's next? 
well, finally, now we're ready to go live with the project as long as the customer's happy to, of course. So obviously they've agreed to that they want to go live. Bear in mind, this might only be like a couple of weeks from start to finish for a very small project, or it might be several months for a large project. The tasks that we kind of usually carry out, fairly similar, you know, regardless of the size of the project, any trial migration data, we would usually delete that ready to re-import the live migration. So we would delete the trial migration first. If the customer has a sandbox site and a sandbox site as well as a production site, we might leave the trial data in the sandbox site and do a fresh import into the production environment. Just to sort of uh, explain the sandbox site is exactly what it says it is. Basically, it's a safe play area. So you can have a copy of the database that's not live and you can log into that if you want to do some training or testing. Next thing we need to do is make sure all the correct users set up in the production or the live environment. We need to make sure that each user's only got access to what they need. So not only do they need a license, but they need to be given the right security roles so they can see the records and things that they need to see. So there might be security roles in place that say you can only see certain types of accounts or you can only see your own accounts or whatever. So any all that kind of stuff, we'd set that up, set all the users up. We would install the Outlook integration for each of the users as well so that they can track emails um, from Outlook into Dynamics. And then finally, perform a live migration of data. And then we celebrate, they go live. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yay! Wowzers. I mean, you've made that sound simple, guys, but obviously there's a lot of complexity in that. But then again, you guys do make CRM simple, right? So... <laughs> Um, like to try definitely yeah i know we like to make a quite a thing about it when a client goes live with their crm you know it's a big deal for them it's a big investment it's going to hopefully transform their operations and and get them working with greater efficiency and productivity and so we feel like it's important for everyone to celebrate the success mm, to be absolutely. honest don't we so we absolutely. love sh- shouting it from the rooftops Any so, excuse for a glass or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course get the vino out so once the customer's gone live, are they on their own? I'm, I'm guessing not, guys. You're there no. in the wings. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're definitely not. So the, for the first period of their go live, which is usually about two to three weeks, we're in contact regularly over that period. It's a very important time for the project. The success of it ultimately depends on whether the users are using it. So that's why we're in contact regularly. We try and preempt the potential of them not using using the system by building CRM, as you said, basic CRM systems or simple CRM systems to allow people to find it easier to use. I mean, most people these days are a lot smarter and a lot more savvy when it comes to implementing new systems. And also, if you look at it from a financial point of view, they want to protect their investment. So they need to make sure that the serum is used. By also ensuring it evolves over a period of time. So in the past, a lot of people just assume once you implemented it, and we did talk about this in a past mm. episode as well. Yeah. Once you implemented it, people would say, okay, that's it. It's done for X number of years now. But it doesn't work that way. It needs to evolve the same way that the organization evolves over time for it to really be embedded within the organization. So in order to help facilitate that, most of our clients will take out something like a managed service contract or a support contract with us to keep them protected, basically. If anything goes wrong, we can help them deal with it. The main part of it is sort of proactive support. So for example, if a process changes or something changes internally, they start selling a new service, for example, and they need help implementing that into their CRM. They get an allocation of hours every month that we can use to try and implement that on the fly. Small little succinct changes that then make a big difference from the client where the system's evolving over an extended period of time. So it usually kicks in at the point that the system goes live. So they've got it straight away. 
from then on for that sort of help. That's reassuring for them, isn't it? Also, the mm-hmm. fact that I'm guessing most systems not only evolve because the business changes itself, but also I know that with Dynamics 365, there's regular updates on new features and tools. So you'll probably want to be ensuring that the clients are always kept up to date with kind of what's happening there so they can keep ahead of the game themselves as well. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot, guys. <laughs> Again, you have made it, you have broken it down really well. I think for anyone who's new to the world of CRM projects, this should be really, really helpful in just clarifying that full implementation process. But not only that, just how we do it, can't stress enough. The guys are very, very talented at making what is potentially complex processes and projects really simple so that it is least pain as possible for the clients and a smooth project so that everyone's kept happy, basically. That's the whole point, isn't it? To get a smooth running project. Fantastic. Yep. Thank you very much, guys. That was, no that was very insightful. No problem at all. We must Excellent. do it again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone listening to this, drop it in the comments if you've got any burning questions or if you would like us to cover another topic that we haven't done in the other episodes, drop us a line, drop us a comment and we'll see what we can do. All right, till the next episode. Cool. See you later, That's guys. Tough. That's Take it. Yeah, everyone. See you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye. This has been the Rocket Pod podcast, delivered by Rocket CRM, the place for spot-on CRM advice delivered in a simple-to-understand format as Rocket CRM makes CRM simple. The show was produced by the team at Rocket CRM and Thumbs Up Marketing. With special thanks to Alex Tilbrook, Design and Illustration, and MD Hammond. For information on Rocket CRM, visit rocketcrm.co.uk and you can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Twitter's at Rocket CRM UK and LinkedIn at Rocket-CRM. Thanks for listening.